This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, along with Rob Rang. We've also got Landon McCool of Locked On Cowboys. We're going to be jumping into our NFC West versus NFC East crossover series. This episode comes your way courtesy of Built Bar, the delicious protein bar with less sugar and less calories. Get $10 off your first box by using the code Locked On at BuiltBar.com. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. We're going to have Landon join us for this because this is such an absurd story, (laughs) and yet it is gaining traction by the minute here. This is the time that we live in, Rob and Landon, where breaking news in the NFL can be revealed by a random Reddit user. And this is this is something that I don't even know the Cowboys landed. The Cowboys have had some weird trades over the years, but I don't know if they've ever had a trade that's been broken by a Reddit user. That would be new ground. I feel like I feel like on the uh, the bingo card of weird media stories that uh, we haven't quite hit uh, this this the space yet. I think this is uh, something that's the Seahawk Nation is is breaking ground here, and, and, and again they're ahead of the game in front of everything, right? Well, this is <laughs> Seahawks Twitter. Yeah, Seahawks Twitter is is capable of doing weird things. So now they're dipping into Seahawks Reddit breaking news here. So uh, just to catch everybody up, this is what's happened here in the last ten minutes. Just before we started recording, there was a Reddit user by the name of Everyone Loves Nudes. Yes, that's that's the name of the Reddit user. But this particular user a few weeks back was the first person to break the Justin Britt news being released by the Seahawks hours before it actually happened. And so there is a track record here where this user has actually broken news. Now, this this story that's being revealed today would smash that out of the ballpark because the Reddit user now is saying the Seahawks are going to trade for Browns defensive end Miles Garrett. You don't see blockbusters happen on May 11th like this. Now I know it's a weird off season but if this actually comes to fruition rob this might be the craziest trade not just because of how it was released how it was revealed but just the timing of it that i've ever seen yeah it's it's not just the 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 source that is potentially breaking this news i I think that we're going to lose that use that term pretty loosely right now but um (laughs) yeah the the timing of it would be absolutely bizarre but it's it's not only the fact that there has been some precedence here with this user um you know indicating that future news that would happen but obviously this makes some sense from a seahawks perspective in that that this still has the primary need of a pass rusher um because in part of, of, of dropping Justin Britt. The, the Seahawks do have a little bit more uh, financial cap space to be able to, to pull off a maneuver like this. You know, it has been John Schneider's MO in the past to, uh, I don't know, want to say necessarily take advantage of other general managers, you know, being in, in, in difficult situations. But that's essentially what he's done. And, and who is in, more, in a more difficult situation than Andrew Berry in, in, in Cleveland? Um, you know, so with, with Miles Garrett obviously coming off the suspension and all of that. So, this is the type of situation that I could see uh, the Seahawks trying to take advantage of. It just would be such a such an amazing story from from a from just an NFL breaking perspective. Uh, that that to me is this would be one of those stories that kind of is bigger than just the Seahawks. It's it's all about how news breaks in 2020. 
Yeah, and I, I will say this. I, I'm somebody that has watched quite a few murder mysteries on TV, especially during this quarantine, and there have been murders that have been solved on Reddit. So I guess this would just be the next step in revolutionary news coming off the internet, if indeed this ends up being true. Now, I think a lot of this is still hypothetical. So let's say that the Seahawks are making this trade, though. I would have to presume next year's first-round pick is part of the package. I can't see any way that the Cleveland Browns are going to be trading the former number one overall pick, who just happens to have two years left in his deal. They've already picked up the fifth-year option on his contract. And so Seattle would be trading for a guy that isn't a one-year rental. You would have him for two seasons, and I would expect then that they would be working on an extension with him. But it would have to be a first rounder. And I would say that you're probably going to have to add other picks. Maybe there's another player being in the, in the move, but what do you think a trade would look like here? If, if indeed this is something that actually happens. Well, at least from my perspective, I think that if we're we're just going to go with the whole fantasy approach that this is actually going to happen, then then I, I think that the Cleveland Browns at that point might be just asking if they could get Pete Carroll apart thrown in the in the package as well, you know, just because <laughs> again, I, I think that the, we're, we are kind of playing in, in a fantasy land kind of a perspective here. I, I think that there certainly is a possibility, and if the Seahawks are going to um, be able to pull off a trade like Miles Garrett Corbin, then I think that you're right. I think that the the easy conversation starts with the 2021. First round selection, perhaps some players as well. Um, but again, I, I think that, uh, that this is obviously a, a lot of a, a fun May 11th speculation about something that that could happen. And again, I think that from Cleveland's perspective, they would be shooting for the absolute moon in, in compensation for a player as gifted as Garrett is. I can tell you this: if everyone loves nudes on Reddit, breaks this news, <laughs> and it actually happens, he will become a folk hero in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, this is going to be an icon. If, if you think that some of the other Seahawks Twitter people out there have become icons, this would be a new level. They might have to build a statue for this individual outside of century. I mean, that's how crazy this is. But uh, real quick, Lane, and I just want to swing it to you here because you happen to have one of the, I don't know if you want to use the word innovative with him, but, but Jerry Jones has done some interesting things over the years working trades what would be maybe the closest thing? Obviously, no Reddit users have broken trades for the Cowboys. What would be the most bizarre <laughs> trade that maybe would fit into this discussion with Jerry Jones? Man, I mean, you know, Jerry's taken a several swing for the fences moves before. Uh, you know, I think back to, uh, you know, the trading two first-round picks for a, a wide receiver and then having him hurt the same year as Troy Aikman comes in and gets hurt. I mean, I think about... Going back to, I mean, not even just trades, but like free agent signings. I mean, you think about taking a chance on Greg Hardy and and some of these people that they've brought in at different points to really kind of swing for the fences. You know, I I just gotta say, like, I I love Miles Garrett. I, I mean, I'm not going out on a limb. Guy, guy was first overall pick. I, I know that the suspension, the whole situation in the game was, you know, it was scary. And 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 you know, there's obviously two sides to exactly what was going on. But I, I, everything I've seen from this guy. Uh, obviously worth being the number one pick seems like a pretty decent person. I don't know that this is like, I think to me, the most crazy part about this is obviously that Adam Schefter is using a burner account called everybody loves nudes (laughs) and, and posting it on Reddit. But I, I think outside of that, I don't know that this is a terrible move if, if this is real. Like, I think, you know, depending on – yeah, it's going to cost you a ton. I mean, there's no way around that. He's a young, incredibly talented, you know, at one point called a generational player at the position. I think that, uh, you know, it's it's 
but it's not he's I don't think he's on the level of Greg Hardy or some of these you know really bad characters that we've seen uh, that have got, you know gotten contracts or been traded for or whatever at different points. Uh, I think that this is a situation like you said where uh, Schneider could be taking advantage of a GM who's in a, a, a tenuous situation with his superstar defensive end and a change of location may be the best situation for everybody. And suddenly he gets access to trade to for a player who, I mean, this is not the kind of person who becomes available on the free agent market or on the trade market very often. No, exactly. And I think the most ironic part of all of this is if the Cleveland Browns do make this trade, I'm just saying this right now. Within 48 hours, Jadevian Clowney will be in a Cleveland Browns uniform. They will be. Sense. They will open up some extra cap space, and then they can go and they can sign Clowney, and he'll replace Miles Garrett. That would be probably the viewpoint. If I was in Cleveland's front office, if I'm trading away Garrett, I don't know what the rationale behind that would be. But if you're moving on from him, you can go out and get Clowney. They've already been linked to him in various reports. They might be able to show him the money that he wants, and then Clowney's off the market. So it would be weird, but at the same time, Seattle, you could argue they're getting a better football player. Miles Garrett has been more productive as a pass rusher in his career than what Clowney has. So this is going to be really interesting. I look at this kind of like one of those situations where – you know, somebody's this is going to sound weird coming from a football analyst, but it's kind of like, you know, maybe this people out there are getting catfished right now by somebody. We don't know if this is legitimate or not, but at the same time, like I said, the guy has broken news before, so we have to at least pay a little bit of attention. If he ends up breaking this news, then this is going to be a game changer. When we come back for the second quarter, we're going to take a look at the Dallas Cowboys going into the 2020 season, looking at draft picks, free agent signings, what's going on in Jerry World heading into a new season. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As an avid weightlifter and distance runner, I'm always looking for an edge when it comes to nutrition, seeking quality tasting protein bars without crazy additives. Since being diagnosed with celiac disease, my options have been pretty limited. Enter in the Built Bar, a low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, gluten-free protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar comes in 16 amazing flavors. My personal favorite is the peanut butter brownie, which is 20 grams of protein and just 3 grams of sugar and 3 grams of net carbs. Since I had my first one, I won't go without it before hitting my squat rack or going for a jog. All Built Bars are 100% chocolate, nut and gluten free, soft and easy to chew, and don't have the nasty aftertaste associated with most protein bars. Sound too good to be true? Go to BuiltBar.com and check out all their flavor options. You can build your own custom box and new flavors will be coming out May 10th. Try this delicious product for yourself and change your exercise game by using promo code LOCKEDON and get $10 off your first box at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Podcast Network crossover series, NFC West, NFC East, going to be duking it out this year. All four teams from each division scheduled to play one another. We're going to start the festivities this week with Landon McCool of Locked On Cowboys. I'm Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks, along with Rob Rang. Last year, Landon, the Cowboys were expected to be a contender in the NFC. They were supposed to be one of the best teams. I think on paper, they certainly were. Had tons of talent on both sides of the ball. But things just didn't work out as planned, and that brought on the end of the Jason Garrett era. As some fans would say, finally, we're moving on (laughs) from Jason Garrett. And now we've got Mike McCarthy coming in, a guy that's coached a lot of playoff games in Green Bay. Now he's away from Aaron Rodgers. He's got Dak Prescott as his quarterback, kind of a tenuous situation there with him on the franchise tag. But 
What are your initial thoughts here moving from Garrett to Mike McCarthy? How do you think this plays out? Well, I mean, I think you're going to see offensively. The ironic thing, I think, is that, you know, in the first season at least, you're going to see a lot of the same offensively. I, I think there, there'll be a different mindset. I think that there'll be uh, uh, a different mentality about, um, you know, how how and when they'll run the ball and, and how and when they'll pass the ball and, and, and maybe being a little bit more aggressive or, or at least more in line with the analytics on, on, you know, when to go for it on fourth down. I think yeah, the, the thing that's really going to change offensively more than anything instead of, you know, actual scheme would be a play sequencing. I think that's where we're going to see a lot of, of the changes because it sounds like McCarthy is coming in. You know, he brief, he one of his first things he wanted to do was get Kellen Moore back in the building. Uh, he liked he liked a lot of what Kellen Moore did last year, and there's a general thought process that uh, early on in the season, Kellen Moore was kind of allowed to kind of call the game as he wanted, and then as things started to get tight, when they started to go on the road that Jason Garrett had started kind of reining him in a little bit. So I think the idea is to go back to kind of a Kellen Moore unleashed type offense, which means similar terminology, similar, similar language, but just kind of a different mindset. Uh, and then I think on defense, it's going to be completely different. I mean, I, I you know, they're going to specifically stay in a four, three, they say, but I, I would imagine that it's a lot more versatile. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking, we're living in a world where nickel is the base defense anyways, but Unless I, I think a Seahawks that, coach. Yeah. yeah well, I, and, and listen, I think that's, that's one of the more interesting things for me is, is kind of, you know, Dallas spent a lot of time and resources chasing the Seattle model of defense. And I, I and now they're kind of moving away from that into a, a more hybrid, uh, you know, some two gap, uh, uh, you know, techniques being used on, on the defensive line, a lot more blitzing, I imagine, uh, moving away from the kind of cover three, cover one and more into maybe, uh, you know, middle of the field open type coverages, more cover two, two man and stuff like that. So I think. That's it's 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 surprising, but I think that if you look at the McCarthy coaching staff and and what it, the difference is going to be, I to me the biggest difference is going to be on the defensive side more than the offensive side. I think it's more people are hoping for on the offensive side that 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 McCarthy just kind of unleashes Kellen Moore a little more. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Landon. I mean, I, I look at the, the the Dallas Cowboys, and I and, and as Corbin said before, you know, I, I think that I think that from a talent perspective, Dallas is you know Dallas really stands apart. Um, you know, obviously the Philadelphia Eagles are a very gifted team as well, but you know, in, certainly in comparison to Washington and New York, those were the the, the two elite teams. And then to see Dallas uh, struggle as they did was was surprising, considering all that talent. And obviously, that's one of the big reasons why McCarthy is there now. Um, I, I guess one of my points. To kind of you, you mentioned how you thought on offense that Dallas would I, I took that as kind of going a little bit more up tempo with what Kellen Moore did of course at Boise um, and, and I think that that fits in well I, I was shocked when CeeDee Lamb was still on the board I, I'd, I'd like to think that uh, a lot of people were that CeeDee Lamb was still on the board um, to the uh, you know to the Cowboys at 17 do you think how do you think that uh, that that helps the Cowboys? Do you think that that is something that that is just going to reinforce that much more um, that mindset of, of trying to go up tempo? Just considering the experience that that CD Lamb has in, in that type of offense at Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, I think you know that's part of that mentality, right? Uh, I, I think 
part of the Jason Garrett philosophy, you know, from a kind of 10,000 foot view was to shorten the game and shorten the game means running the ball, slowing the offense down, eating clock, uh, you know, and, and trying to protect your defense by, uh, you know, not by shortening the game. Once you have a lead, I, I think now the idea for the Cowboys is, and everybody in Cowboys land, even before CD lamb got drafted uh, there, there's a subsex segment of the, of the group that basically has called themselves teams 40 team 40 burger. And it's like, let's just go out and build a team that can, that can score 40 points on anybody. Mm-hmm. And that, that was before CD lamb got drafted. So, you know, that, that, that was, they were, these are the people that were leading the charge for a draft for a, a wide receiver pick uh, in their first round, which, you know, for most of us seemed unrealistic. We didn't even think rugs or, you know, someone that we thought was the second or third best wide receiver in that first round would fall to us, much less the guy that, I mean, at least I think most of Cowboys nation viewed as the consensus number one receiver in the class. Uh, so now that C lamb did fall to us, I think even more so, you know, I, I would look for them to, you know, up tempo, lots of 11 personnel, um, attacking defense, attacking uh, defenses down the field. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think putting putting the foot on the throat and 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 keep going, putting the foot on the gas. I guess is better is better way to say it because you just keep scoring, keep going. I think there were so many times when early on, uh, you know, the the offense seemed timid and didn't seem uh, like they they had gotten they could get into the swing early. And I think a lot of it was because they you know were they were very scripted. I think that what we'll what we'll see is is uh, more of an unleashing of the downfield passing attack and and knowing and being smarter with how they use Ezekiel Elliott as opposed to just you know uh, every time there's a second and ten handing the ball off every single time I, just mixing up play sequencing I think again when you have a lot of talented pieces can really that can be enough to really take a good offense to a, a, a great offense. Let's talk to the defensive picks here because I love that you mentioned that Dallas has been trying to emulate Seattle because I still get the sense, looking at the next three draft picks after CeeDee Lamb, that that's exactly what they're trying to do. You get two long, athletic corners in Trayvon Diggs and Reggie Robinson, and then Neville Gallimore, which to me, third round, late second, early third, was actually about where I thought he should have been. I have some concerns about his run defense, but he's another Mm -hmm. guy that can play that three-tech that's really athletic, has some major upside potentially as a pass rusher so that's a player that was getting mocked to the Seahawks in a lot of drafts as well do you think that like I said do you think those three picks really show that they are still trying to chase that model that Seattle's had for many years under Pete Carroll I think that uh, uh, the Gallimore pick I mean I think is kind of again that traditional under tackle that would go under a a Pete Carroll a a Marinelli whatever that you know the, the 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 defense that branches underneath the Tampa two from you know way back, I, I think that yes that he fits that role to a certain degree, and I think the Diggs and Robinson obviously do as well. But I think that the Diggs and Robinson picks, I mean, that preference is not a coach preference. That's a, a the the long corner, tall corner preference. That actually goes uh, back to Will McClay, who's the head of player personnel for the Cowboys. He that's a that's a preference for him up top. So even even though even though they may be kind of moving away from uh, you know just specifically the kind of coverages that or the you know the reliance on I guess that's the best way to put it of those kind of cover one and cover three coverages. 
I think that that player type is still something that they're interested in. I think they are still interested in playing a lot of press coverage. I just think it's more, you know, press man two or, you know, or, or being tough at, at cover two up front and, and dropping into coverage, mixing more coverages and disguising more coverages of what they want to do. I think the player type on, on the outside, the boundary corners definitely has remained the same because I think that's one thing that once they had, you know, gotten into that kind of Seattle defense mode, that was something that they found that they really liked and that they really, that that, that was an archetype, archetype, sorry, that they wanted to carry with them, uh, I think, beyond just the defense. Lennon, uh, one, one other question I wanted to ask you just real quick is, you know, we, we've talked about, obviously, everybody's focusing on Dak Prescott on offense and in defense, the, the loss of Byron Jones, you know, it has dominated as, as well as, as some of the, the, the flashy names that Dallas has brought in um, on, on the defensive line. Um, but to me, one of the most underrated moves that Dallas made, and I, I'm really excited about for, Cow- for the Cowboys, is just the addition of the special teams coach, John Fossil, as, as mm-hmm. well as uh, the kicker, Greg DeLeg Zerline, which, you know, of course, Seattle fans are going to know both of those very well just because of the success that both of them had with the Rams. Is there, it, whether it be those two or not, is there anybody for the Cowboys that they've brought in, uh, whether it be a rookie, whether it be a veteran, whether it be a coach, coach that you think is is just not getting enough credit and they're going to have a significant impact on the Cowboys moving forward I mean I think there's several of them but I think the bones is the one that you, I mean you you identified that I think I mean just if you're talking about impact alone of one coaching move the guy who was the special teams coach for the Cowboys last year had never coached football he was a he was a uh, a scouting intern and he, I think, was very well respected by the scouting department. And then they, he had been studying under Rich Basaccia, who is now the special teams coach for the Raiders. Uh, and I think, you know, when the when Basaccia left for for the Raiders, the Cowboys just decided to put him in there as a special teams coordinator. In, in inexplicably, I, I still don't understand why or what. But he was terrible. I mean, he was—he just had no experience. He didn't know. He did not know what he was doing. The rumor that I heard was that he was calling Rich Basacci every single week to talk, go over his game plan with him. Uh, and and now he got fired and basically was taken back into the coaching side of the building because uh, obviously he did not have the experience that everyone was looking for. I, I think you know you take that situation and then you add in Bones Fossil who. I mean, I would say is uh, top five X's and O's special teams coach. I mean, you know, I just or I mean, this established, well, you know, thought out, thought of coach who, you know, at least looks at all the angles, understands what he's doing well enough to maybe surprise people once in a while. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if we're talking about the hidden yardage in the game, uh, I think that's the kind of thing that you know. I think that's the kind of thing that adds multiple wins to a team's roster kind of through hidden yardage. And especially when you look at a team like the Cowboys that had a, you know, not a great record considering their point differential. Um, I think that that's, you know, some things like, you know, adding competency to your special teams coach is a way to, 
kind of eat, balance those your record with what you're actually putting out offensively and defensively on the field. That third phase of the game is so important, dictates wins and losses. And if you have somebody that doesn't know what he's doing coaching that particular group, it's not a good outcome, especially at this level, the highest level in the NFL. Landon, really looking forward to these teams squaring off in week three. You and I were joking about this before the show actually started, that it seems like, I don't even know that I would call their matchups defensive slugfest, because it seems like it's more about offensive ineptitude. But generally, when these two teams get together and play I'm just thinking that playoff game a couple years ago it's just you would expect fireworks with Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson playing quarterback and yet those games feel like a drag because the offenses just don't I I just I don't know what it is but they always play tightly contested games but they're never pretty yeah and it definitely feels like there's times where you're watching both players and they're exceptional and they're fighting against their own offense you know it's like they're struggling to kind of get out of the constraints of what's been put around them to a certain degree. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm always interested to see how, uh, Russell Wilson is going to, you know, raise his team around him. And, and, and despite, you know, the, the maybe analytically backwards thought process of, of running the ball that, you know, again, this is something that as a Cowboys fan, I could speak to (laughs) and with great, with great authority, uh, because we've we've been dealing with a similar issue, and I think that uh, you you I mean you guys have won a Super Bowl with him, which is fantastic, and then gone to you know another one, and and I think the Cowboys are hoping to just kind of get some kind of success uh, similar to that, you know, in Dak Prescott's prime years, especially now that they're going to have to re-sign him for a whole bunch of money. Uh, I, I think you know hopefully for the Cowboys' sake, McCarthy will kind of do that for them and, and, and unlock his ability to a next level to kind of get to, you know, where Russell Wilson is already at at, in his career at this point. When we come back for the third quarter, we're going to flip the script here. Landon's going to press us a bit about the Seahawks going into the 2020 season. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Podcast Network crossover series, NFC West versus AFC East. Hey guys, welcome back to the Locked On Cowboys podcast brought to you by Built Bar and I am joined on the crossover podcast this week by the two guys from Seattle and Locked, Locked On Seahawks. Uh, I got Rob Rang and Corbin Smith. Hey guys, how you doing? Doing, doing well. great. Thanks for having us. Would love, love talking football. And we, we were just chatting about uh, the, <laughs> the similarities between the Cowboys and the, the Seahawks and, and how... The Cowboys had been kind of on the path of following a Seahawks model until things were abruptly changed, obviously, with the hiring of Mike McCarthy. So we, uh, I wanted to kind of pick your brains about the uh, the Seahawks this year because we they feel like a familiar opponent. You know, we're not we're not division rivals, but it does feel like last year was the first time in a, in a while that we hadn't played you at least in the regular season, and then obviously, you know, we've had some, some playoff meetings. Uh, and I think that that so it feels like there's a closeness. And then again, like I like I mentioned, with with the kind of uh, Cowboys embracing a, a Seattle model for many years, it feels like I've spent a lot of time watching Seattle just to kind of figure out what maybe what some of the Cowboys uh, thought processes are here. So it's, it's good to pick your minds, guys. And it's good. To, it's good to talk football about this. So first thing I wanted to mention is is the the draft, just kind of going it going over it a little bit. Uh, you guys picked Jordan Brooks in the first Daryl Taylor in the second, Damian Lewis in the third. Um, and, I, and I thought that when you look at this class, to me, I think, you know, Jordan Brooks 
it, that felt like a real typical Seahawks pick, right? I, I don't know. I, I liked Jordan Brooks a lot coming into the draft, uh, and I thought that he, I thought that he would actually end up going in the first round. Um, I just wasn't sure who was going to be the team, and then I guess I shouldn't have been surprised when uh, the Seahawks picked him. Uh, tell me what like it felt like there were times when the Seahawks fan base were, was extremely frustrated with and I, and I having gone through that with Leighton Vanderesh when he got drafted, I know there was a lot of Cowboys fans that weren't happy about a line, off-ball linebacker in the first round, but what, what was the reaction to most Seahawks nation when they picked Jordan Brooks in the first round? Well, I'll take this first and then Rob can dish in his thoughts as well. Um, you know, I think everybody collectively was just really surprised. And quite frankly, at this point, fans in Seattle, it takes a lot to surprise them because John Schneider just seems to do something out of left field pretty much every year. But this was a new level of that. Nobody expected they were going to pick an off-ball linebacker in the first round when you still got Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright that are still playing really good football for the Seahawks. So I think there was a lot of surprise there. And then very quickly, it started to become evident and more understandable why they made this move because of the ages of Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. We found out a few days later that KJ Wright has had shoulder surgery. There have been some murmurs out there that maybe KJ Wright is considering retirement. I can't speak to whether those rumors have any truth to them, but certainly those two players are getting older. They're not getting any younger. And this is a guy that is an absolute playmaker over hundred tackles, 20 tackles for loss last year. He can run sideline to sideline chase down people coverage is something that has been questioned but again he's got the athletic tools the Seahawks have a great coaching staff when it comes to working with linebackers and so they clearly saw something this kid they loved they were not going to risk losing him and so they decided to pick him at 27 and and you know Landon I it's interesting that you mentioned Leighton Vander Esch uh you know when in kind of talking about how this was a surprising move um for the Seahawks in, in selecting Jordan Brooks you know with, with Vander Esch of course he played his college ball at uh you know at Boise State and just geographically speaking I think that that the people out here in Seattle and in, in that area had seen Vander Esch and so it probably wasn't as much of a surprise to us out here that Vander Esch wound up going as early as he did and yeah, I think it's comforting from uh from, from somebody who, who speaks to Seahawks fans a lot that are you know we're, we're so shocked by the Jordan Brooks fan or the Jordan Brooks selection I think it's comforting that that you obviously uh you know an astute football evaluator yourself that that you had uh you know jordan brooks going in the first round i think the biggest shocker for for us um was the fact that you already have the, the talented linebacking core of course bobby wagner just being the, the player that he is and kg rias corbin mentioned being a, a really good player as well and and seattle did run as much base defense as they did a year ago but the need was so great for a pass rusher that i think the seahawks could have drafted just about anybody if if his name wasn't followed by the designation pass rusher, then, then Seahawks fans are going to be upset. Um, mm-hmm. But I I think that the Brooks is a terrific player. He, he's going to fit in very well with Seattle. Um, and whether it be at that outside linebacker position um, with Wright or with Kendricks, um, you know, questions about them, or ultimately being uh, the replacement of Bobby Wagner, I, I think that, that Brooks and, uh, and Seattle are going to be very happy with that selection. It's funny how the fans don't want you to draft for need until you don't draft the player that they feel like you need, right? <laughs> <laughs> everyone then everyone gets upset. Um, all right, let's 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 talk on the different sides of the ball. Um, on on offense, you, you got some uh, some additions that added some firepower with Greg Olson and Philip Dorsett. 
you know, and this is this is an offense with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Greg, and now Greg Olson, and an improved offensive line, uh, and, and again, most importantly, Russell Wilson. Uh, it's it's easy to see how things could go right offensively, but if things don't go Seattle's way this season, what will be the reason that we point to when we take a look back at the 2020 season? Well, if we're talking offense, I, I think health has to be the thing that we circle there because you mentioned Greg Olson. A couple of years ago, he was dealing with foot issues. He had, actually had two seasons where he missed a bunch of games with foot problems. Now, Pete Carroll says that those days are behind <clears throat> him, but he's 35 years old, so durability is going to be a question. Will Disley, their other tight end, is coming off a second straight year that ended early due to a severe injury. He's coming back from an Achilles tendon tear this time. And the year before, he had a torn patellar tendon in his knee. So two pretty difficult injuries to come back from. DK Metcalf played in all 16 games as a rookie, but he had some durability concerns at Ole Miss. So if there's going to be something that's going to derail this offense, it's going to be the lack of availability. The backfield guys as well. Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, both Mm -hmm. coming off season-ending injuries. So if they're healthy, this offense should be one of the most dynamic in the NFC with the weapons they've put around Russell Wilson. But... That's the huge caveat here. Are they going to be able to keep these guys on the field, especially without having a normal offseason? It's going to be tougher to keep these guys from getting hurt whenever the season does come. I, I absolutely agree with what Corbin just said as far as the, the durability, the health issues. That was something that you know it plagued Seattle a, a bit last year. Um, and, and, and then more specifically, I, I would say along the offensive line. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that that's – from a national perspective, that's not going to be a shocker to people. I mean, nationally speaking, a lot of people think that, that Seattle's offensive line is the worst in the NFL, has been the worst in the NFL for years and years, huh. and, and and that's just not the case. I mean, yeah. Seattle just wants their offensive linemen, similar to Dallas, they want to you know they want to physically punish people in the running game rather than play pass protection the entire time, or at least that's what they've wanted to do so far. Um, but the the reality is that, that Seattle, due to, to releasing players like Justin Britt or um, you know, or to, to losing players like Jermaine Effetti in, in free agency, or at least, or letting him go. I, I guess I should more accurately say, uh, Seattle is going to have possibly four fifths of their offensive line be different starters a year from you know this upcoming season than from a year ago. And so, obviously, with the, the same questions about durability and our guys being able to stay in shape and everything else because of the of, of the COVID nineteen uh, you know situation, then anytime you have that type of, of turnover along your offensive line is going to be a significant issue yeah i I feel like if anyone who thinks the seattle offensive line is still the worst in football i mean they need to watch a lot more football (laughs) there are some really terrible offensive lines out there um on defense though uh, you you know you signed back jaron reed quinn dunbar in a trade which you know someone who we faced Washington twice a year. Quentin Dunbar was one of the only consistent defenders who's actually playing up to his level of, of play, I think, at times. So I, I really like that trade. Uh, I, the linebacker core is amazing, obviously, with Wright and Wagner and now Jordan Brooks. The secondary rebuild seems to be basically complete. The defensive line added depth and solidified itself again by re signing John Reed in the middle. What is the most underrated part of this defense, which always you know seems to get a ton of attention each season? I've got to go with the secondary being the most underrated because you're going to get Quandre Diggs now for an entire season. They traded for him at midway point last year from Detroit. So you're going to have him a whole year. Now you've got Quentin Dunbar, who fits exactly what Pete Carroll wants in an outside corner. 6'2", former receiver with excellent 
football instincts, and he knows how to cut off routes, good ball skills. So as long as he can stay healthy, again, I keep mentioning that, but he's had an injury history. If they can keep him on the field, Shaquille Griffin was a pro bowler last year in his third season, so they really like the two outside corners that they have. And Bradley McDougal's been the glue guy in that secondary going into the final year of his contract. He's going to be pushed by Marquise Blair as well, their second-round pick from 2019. So I think that group, just from having some stability there in their second year post Earl Thomas, I think that unit is going to be much better than they were last year. And and that's going to help the pass rush some just by default. Yeah, and that's a perfect segue. Corbin's such a pro. I mean, that's uh, I, I think that the pass rush is actually going to wind up being one of the more underrated parts of, of Seattle's defense, and that's assuming that there's no Clowney. It's assuming there's no Miles Garrett. That's just that's just with the with the talent that that, that Seattle brought back. You, you mentioned Landon that that, that Reed's going to be back inside. I, I don't think that he's necessarily going to jump back to the you know the Pro Bowl caliber sack numbers they had a couple of years ago, but I certainly expect an improvement from what he had, and you know based a ruined season a year ago. Um, I am a believer in the young talent that Seattle acquired in the draft, and specifically with Daryl Taylor. I, I think that he's going to wind up actually uh, pushing to lead the Seahawks in sacks as a rookie. Alton Robinson is a player that I thought should have been off the board at least a round or two earlier. Um, they were my two favorite uh, pass rushers in this draft class for Seattle specifically, and for, for Seattle to get both of those guys, um, I, I think that uh, it, it's going to put them in a position to have their, their pass rush actually kind of surprised some people by being a little bit more effective this year than, than maybe the the national pundits expect well that's great info and i mean we always like i said like to see things from the outside and think we have an idea of what's what but it's always great to kind of get the inside knowledge of, of what's going on and, and that's why we do this right guys is to kind of help spread the knowledge and see what uh, what, what our opponents are thinking about uh the matchups uh, last thing before we go i just wanted to talk about the matchup of these two teams they they played a year ago and uh, i guess was it almost two years ago <laughs> a season ago in, in, a, in a playoff game uh and then they didn't play at all uh, uh last year what do you what's the key to this matchup you think and, and where do you feel like the 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 game will end up going uh if if the game gets played as scheduled uh as a week i think we're playing week three is that right yep. yes week three and i think you know, if you look forward, you know, you're looking at the rosters right now. I still feel like Seattle's got some moves coming, whether that means that a Reddit user is going to be correct and Miles Garrett becomes a Seahawk or they sign somebody off the free agent market. A defensive tackle would be nice. There's still going to be a few moves before we get to the season if it gets here. Looking at that game, to me, Cowboys-Seahawks matchups always come down to which team is able to get things going early. You look at that playoff game a couple years ago, fans were so upset because the Seahawks just kept running the ball into brick walls that was the Dallas Cowboys front seven, and they couldn't get their passing game going. And then the second half, when they fell behind, they started to let Russell Wilson throw the football a little bit, started to put a few points on the board. So it's all about being a little bit more aggressive. And it does look like the Seahawks are going to be doing that going into 2020, that maybe this is going to be a bit more of an up-tempo offense. The moves they've made with their offensive line and free agency indicate that as well. Bringing in guys that are more pass protection oriented than run blocking might see a little different approach, which means a better chance for the Seahawks against quality opponents like the Cowboys to be able to get off to a good start. Yeah, and I think 
that when you look at this game, you know, so far ahead, just not knowing what's going to happen. And obviously this entire process, then it's really difficult to kind of break down the X's and O's that I think that we all love doing. So instead, I just want to kind of look at the schedule for just a moment. As, as you mentioned, Len, in, in the opening with this question, Seattle is going to host Dallas in week three. Um, and I think that you look at Seattle's schedule, you look at Dallas's schedule in that first month of the season, or at least the way it's, it's currently constructed. Seattle opens up on the road at Atlanta, um, which I think the Falcons are going to be the team that we saw at the end of the 2019 season, not the team that struggled so much early. So a formidable opponent. And then they host New England, the Tom Brady-less New England Patriots. And that maybe that's a maybe that's a, a much easier win at home before, of course, they host Dallas. So I think it's very possible that Seattle is sitting there at one and one and hosting the Dallas Cowboys, obviously a very talented playoff caliber team themselves. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on, on Seattle from that perspective. If you look at Dallas's perspective, they host in the opening game, the, or excuse me, they're on the road, and then the opening game against the Rams. Um, and, and so that's an interesting uh, matchup right there, just considering the, the talent that the Rams have. But then to me, what's fascinating about this is that the, the team that the Seahawks play in week one, the Atlanta Falcons, that's who Dallas plays in week two. And so that's a huge strategic advantage for the Dallas Cowboys heading into Seattle, knowing that the week's opponent before was Atlanta, the same team that Seattle just faced. That's significant. But Dallas has a fascinating advantage as well, just because of the schedule. And these are two very evenly matched teams. Dallas Cowboys and Seattle, it just feels like every time they play that they're that they're games that go into the late fourth quarter. So just like every other one, I expect it to be one of those games that has on the edge of the seats and I, I can't wait to watch it yeah me too I mean I think we're all just desperate for football at this we're point desperate so for any sports. football <laughs> any, any yeah any sports will do at this point so guys thank you so much for joining us and, and we had a wonderful time it was very informative and uh hopefully we will get to see each other week three if if you know all things work out yep right now we just need to look forward and uh press forward believing that the games are going to happen as planned still a long time until we get to the regular season so we can all keep our fingers crossed that we'll be treated with the Cowboys Seahawks tilt in week three